Let me ask you to open your Bibles to 1 Peter 4. Again, I apologize about uh, Daniel 4, but uh, this is what I call a Thanksgiving week audible. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar will get saved next week. Um, I'm, I'm confident of it. I don't even have to say if the Lord wills because it's already in his word. First Peter 4, verses 7 through 11. Let me read them for us. We're just going to look at verse 9 tonight. It's going to be the only verse we're really diving in on. But I want to read um, this paragraph and just be struck as I read it by how Peter ties this very sweeping introduction statement here in verse 7 with the practical application of it in verse 9. I mean, they seem so jarring. This is, this is what he says. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. This passage has the center of it, this biblical call to hospitality. This little paragraph here, 7 through 11, it's, it's a chiasm. The first, verse 7 and verse 11 parallel each other. The end of all things is at hand in verse 7. And then down in verse 11, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. So this context here is bracketed by eternity. God is about to, to wrap up the scroll of this world. Human history will be done. And at the end, God will receive the glory forever and ever. So now you work your way into the middle of it. Above all, be sober-minded uh, for the sake of your prayers, self-controlled. So pursue godliness in your life. And down uh, in the however, end of verse 11 there, and everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So it's still funneling back to the middle. Those two parts parallel each other. You be sanctified in your life so that God can be glorified in Jesus Christ through all that you do. So keep funneling to the middle. Verse eight, above all, keep loving one another earnestly because love covers sins. In verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. And you get the description of the categories of gifts there. And there's lots of different categories of gifts in the New Testament. There's the, the lists in 1 Corinthians 14 and the list in Romans 12. But I like this list. It just breaks all gifts into two categories. Some people have the gift of speaking, uh, you know, serving the church with their words. And some people have the gift of serving, serving the church with their, their hands. And the, those two umbrellas cover just about every, well, not just about, cover every form of spiritual gift in the church. <laughs> Every spiritual gift in the church can be divided into one of those two categories, the gifts of, of speech and then gifts of service with hands. And again, there's other lists with more subsets underneath that, but I just like the overarching way Peter deals with this here. Some people serve the church by preaching and teaching and some serve the church with their, their hands in various different ways. And so again, it's funneling you back to the middle here where you get wedged, where you get stuck here in verse nine. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And that's what's so jarring about this passage. Because God is going to end human history and because Jesus Christ is going to be glorified through all time, to him belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Because of those two truths, 
it pushes you to this middle point to show hospitality. And that seems, I don't know, overstated. <laughs> that seems like too much focus being put on hospitality for it to have that kind of featured seat at the table here in this paragraph. But that's where Peter seats it. That word hospitality, it's a combination of two Greek words, philozenia, philo meaning love or brotherly love, affection, Philadelphia kind of word, and xenia meaning strangers. Strangers, so it's a brotherly love towards strangers. And we have the opposite of that word in English. We have xenophobia in English, which is the opposite of, of xenadelphia or uh, philoxena. Xenophobia would be a fear of strangers, a fear of aliens. So uh, xenophobia is the idea, I don't want strange people around me. Strange people, stay away. <laughs> no touching me, not in my house, strange people. The opposite of that is a love and an affection for strangers, for aliens, for those that are outside of your normal interactions. Now, this puts the focus on the above all, puts the, you know, highlights this. It's introduced with the um, above all, which draws your attention to it. This is clearly the fulfillment of the second greatest commandment. The first greatest, this is why it's introduced with above all, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second greatest commandment is like it to love your neighbor as yourself. And so this is a very uh, important, profound, strategic command. Now in Christ, we demonstrate our love for the Lord by placing our faith in Christ and by serving Christ. Though we don't see him, we will be like him. Though we don't see him, we have a relationship with him. We are in his body. We have a fellowship with him. And that's our expression of the greatest command is our worship of Christ. The second greatest command is fulfilled in the New Testament through this expression of hospitality. Hospitality. And it's interesting in Matthew 22, verse 39, Jesus says the greatest command, and then he has this expression to introduce the second greatest command. He says, and the second one is like it. What does that mean, like it? How is the second greatest command like the first? How can anything be like the greatest command? What do you mean it's like it? Well, they both involve the word love, in that sense, they're like it. But it's more than that. They both involve getting the spotlight of your life off of yourself. They both involve the war in the heart to get your affections out of the mirror and into looking at God and then into serving others. That's the bottom line behind, behind hospitality. It's this desire to turn the camera away from you to other people. That's how the first and the second greatest commands are linked. Now, you fulfill the second greatest command by loving your neighbor, as Jesus says. Paul will say in 1 Timothy 5, loving your family. If you don't care for your family, you're worse than an unbeliever, Paul says. And so those are two practical ways to fulfill the second greatest command. You love your neighbor. You love your family. But this is the one that receives most of the focus in the New Testament. This command for hospitality. Loving the stranger. Again, it's not a tangential thing. This is repeated elsewhere. And all these different uses of it are going to have a common thread, which I'll, I'll give you in a little bit. But 1 Timothy 5, verse 9. Here's another place this command rears its head. Let a widow be enrolled in the ministry of the church. If she, 1 Timothy 5, verse 10, has a reputation for good works, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. In other words, Paul says that a woman, a widow, can receive care and ministry from the church if she has a reputation for good deeds and is known for hospitality. 
widow ministry at the church is not social security. It's not simply meeting the physical needs of those in the, in the, in the body of the church. Uh, widow ministry in the church is designed to aid the church's hospitality. It's designed to shift resources to, in this case, women who are widows with an, with an open home to be leveraged for the reaching of strangers and for the ministry to strangers. So much so that if a widow is unwilling to show hospitality or does not have a reputation of hospitality, she should not be receiving financial aid from the church. Romans 12, verse 13. There, Paul says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This shows the crux of the connection between good works and hospitality. That for you to lead a godly life, you want to meet the needs of the saints and demonstrate hospitality in your own life. And those aren't two different things. You're meeting the needs of the saints by showing of hospitality. Hospitality is a criteria for an elder. Someone wants to be an elder, he has to have the reputation of being hospitable. Now, when we talk about hospitality in the New Testament, it's not geared towards non-believers. There is an opportunity for evangelism. There is the opportunity to have non-believers in your home and uh, develop a relationship with them for the purpose of evangelism and, and sharing the gospel. That's true, but that's not the way the word hospitality is used in the New Testament. All those uses I just read, along with the one at the end of uh, Hebrews 13, all those uses of hospitality all tie it specifically to those in the church. When John writes about it, it's about visiting, uh, receiving missionaries that are going through the world. Remember in this, in this world, there was no Facebook, there was no emails, there's no phones, if you can imagine that kind of world. So a missionary is traveling along and he comes to a new city. He's supposed to receive hospitality from the church in that city. That's why it's such a critical mark of gospel ministry. The Christians show hospitality to visiting missionaries. Or the Christians show hospitality to those who are in the church. Or as, as it says in uh, 1 Timothy 5, uh, the, the saints they're called. Romans 12, 13 calls them saints again. And here, show hospitality in 1 Peter 4, verse 9, to one another. This is one of the one another phrases that Peter uses so often to describe life in the church. Your hospitality is not externally focused outside of the church. It's internally focused inside of the church. So the church is marked by love. The world will see the love that the church has for one another. And they'll, in that, will see the love that God has for Christ and Christ for the church. Hospitality is supposed to be concrete and personal, an expression of Christian love intended to include strangers within your circle of care. And by strangers here, I, I'm not talking about people from outside the church. I'm talking about people that aren't familiar to you, that are part of the one another's, that are inside the congregation. People from your church, here's the easiest way to understand it. People from your church that aren't part of your family. <laughs> that's, the, that's your mission field for hospitality right there in that sense. You know, you make a good dinner at home for your, for your family, that's not hospitality, um, as, as, as great as it is, as great as it is. It's not quite hospitality. You know, I'm, I'm demonstrating my gift of hospitality by feeding my kids really, really well. Mm -hmm. Not quite, although we're thankful. <laughs> There's really two dynamics to this Greek word, and I want to use this as the, our outline uh, tonight. Um, I read that verse. I want to give you an outline tonight in that verse. Two views of the gospel through hospitality. Two different ways to view the gospel through this lens of hospitality. There's two different components here in this, uh, in this world. 
The word hospitality in the, in the Greek world has two different components to it. And they have been in many ways severed in our world. In the American culture, these two different camps of meaning, the two different uh, connotations of this word are disconnected. They've, they've lost in the, the American mind how these two components are connected. And so I want to try to reconnect them here to give you the biblical concept of hospitality. Because when you read about hospitality and what this word means, you're immediately struck that there's two different parts of it that in the English-speaking world have nothing in common. So I want to hitch them back together tonight. The first view of hospitality, your life is an open book. Your life is an open book. This is how you can l- understand the fulfillment of First Peter 4, verse 9, showing hospitality to one another without grumbling is understand that your life is an open book. What I mean by an open book is that people, this is wrapped up in the Greek word of hospitality, people know you. They know what's going on in your life. This first component in our mind is not even about the home. It's just about the way you live your life. Somebody who's hospitable, it'll be played out in their home. But the first component of this word is just the way they present themselves, the way they have friendships, the way they have relationships. To be a hospitable person, people need to know you. This is likely what's implied in 1 Timothy 3 verse 2 as one of the elder qualifications. That for a man to be elder qualified, he has to be hospitable, meaning just at this basic level, people know him and his family. They have to see you. They have to be involved in your life. Of course, they have to be in your home. And that's, this is the kind of the basic level of it. But it's more than about just your home. It's about the way you conduct your own life. It's worth asking yourself in, in your quest to be hospitable, do you have friends that, that know you? Do you have people in your life that have a good relationship with you and your family? That feel like they know you and your, your wife and your, your kids? Or have you managed to construct your life in such a way that you are, in a sense, walled off from other people? Yes, you go to church, and yes, you might go to Bible study, but there's not people that really know you. This doesn't mean that everybody has an all-access pass to your life. (laughs) But I like to think of it this way. Your life can have doors in it, but not walls in it. You don't build barriers in your life to keeping people out. You You have doors, so the whole world is not involved in your life, but you have the ability to develop relationships and friendships with people that come into your life. And of course, this means they come into your home. At the very least, it means your friends have been in your home. I mean, this is a pretty, pretty low bar for the rest of the world. But for Americans, that's a tough bar to get over for some people. That your friends have, the people you consider friends have been in your home. They've seen you with your, your family. They know what's going on in your house, not just physically in your house, but in your relationship with your wife and your parenting with your kids. They know your strengths. They know your, your struggles. They know those kind of things about you. That's what it means to be hospitable. Your friends love you and your strengths and weaknesses because they know them. They can't love you and your strengths and weaknesses if they don't know them. And I really think that this is a reason some people ha- fail on the second element of hospitality, which is going to be getting into the, the home. But they, a lot of people fail on the second ele- element of hospitality because they're unwilling to do this one. They don't want people to know what's going on in their life. They're unwilling to move into hospitality because of fears that having those kind of friendships or having people in their home would then expose their life to other people's examination and they don't like what they see there and they don't think other people would like what they see there and so they're not hospitable. They're not hospitable. I've known pastors that have built this kind of fence around their life. 
I've heard of pastors that, you know, just had a rule. Nobody, no, no friendships from people from church. I've heard this. I'm glad you laugh. I'm glad you find that funny. But I've heard that, that pastors have made that rule in their life. No friendships with people at church because after all, you're ministering to them. And so if they were to be friends with you, then how would you be able to minister to them with some kind of authority or something? And I think I hurt my eye rolling it so hard. <laughs> our pastors say, I, we can't have people from the church over at our house. You know, we need, we need boundaries. We need boundaries. And my home is my castle and uh, my church is my work and people can't come over there. And it's, it, it, that kind of elder would not be qualified according to 1 Timothy 3. He wouldn't have a reputation for hospitality. He wouldn't be a real pastor. I'm glad you chuckle when it's about pastors, but understand that this is something that all Christians, as Peter says here, should be striving for. And it's funny to think of the pastor who, you know, won't be friends with people from church because, uh-oh, but what about you? Have you cultivated friendships with people from church? Are your closest friends believers? Do they know what's going on in your life? Do they, they know your spiritual strengths and your spiritual weaknesses? Do they know the triumphs and the difficulties of your life? That's the first element of hospitality. The second element of hospitality, not just your life is an open book, but your home is an open door. Your home is an open door. In the same way that your life is an open book, that you don't have areas of secrets that are off limits in your life, in the same way your house is an open, open door. In the ancient world, hospitality wasn't so much a meal as it might be in our culture, but it was often putting up a guest. You, you didn't frequently have people over for dinner in the ancient world, but you did frequently have people over for the night or for a few days, sometimes indeterminate. And that would, that would drive most Americans crazy. <laughs> you know, you, you plan a month in ahead for somebody who's coming over to spend a night or two. And if it's in, in, ambiguous, when are they leaving? I don't know. They might be here for three days or five days. And oh man, can't abide that. <laughs> but imagine living in the, ancient, in the ancient Near East or even in the life of Christ you, where transportation's not that easy. If you're going to visit family in another city, you come and you will stay for a while. You come and you'll stay for a while. And this is the idea that you're bringing people into your house. In the biblical world, you're bringing people into your house. You're putting up a guest. In the early church, this was a necessity and a difficulty because of persecution. That's why Hebrews 13 verse 1 says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality for strangers. Thereby some have entertained angels unawares. And there have been believers who've been persecuted and they come and they're, they're not in their own town and they're persecuted for their faith in Christ. And the scriptures say, show hospitality to them, bring them into your house, put them up, feed them, give them a place to stay. By that, some people have entertained angels unaware. I think clearly a, what Paul has in mind there is Abraham and Lot in the Old Testament, both of which prepared them meals. You remember what this was like? They prepared them meals. Lot had them stay with him for the night. It almost cost him his life. It did cost his wife hers. Maybe you've had some house guests that have felt like that. <laughs> this is the basic premise that people who are in the circle of faith, but outside of the circle of your family, have access to your family's resources. Let me say that again. Hospitality is the basic premise that people who are in the circle of faith, but outside the smaller circle of your own family, have access to your family's resources, like a bed, like food. It's not just a bed and food, though. 
or a check could get the job done. It requires generosity in your time. Yes, in your money, yes, in your food, but also with your talents. It requires time to be hospitable. It requires time to open up your home and to prepare a meal and to corral your family together and to have everybody in your family, especially when you have, you have high school or college kids, to have everybody get on the same schedule so that you can welcome people into your home. It's quite difficult. It's connected to talents. And Peter certainly connects it to talents. In verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as stewards of God's very grace. Not everybody has the same financial resources. Not everybody has the same gifts. But the idea is that you're, you're using whatever you've given Whatever you have, you're using it for the advancement of the gospel and the strengthening of the church by the demonstration of hospitality to those inside the circle of faith, outside the circle of your family. Again, it requires generosity and time and money and food and talents. If you have the build bigger barns approach to your resources, hospitality frustrates you because after all, I should be putting more corn in my bigger barns and instead I'm having to feed other people. But if you have the make friends in heaven approach to your resources, which in Jesus' mind, those are the two contrasts, right? The build bigger barns or the make friends in heaven. If you have the make friends in heaven approach to your resources, you know what I mean by that, that you use your resources to make friends so that are spiritual. So when you die, you'll have friends waiting for you in heaven. Like, oh, hey, it's you. Thanks for your friendship. That, you're using your resources to send it to heaven through ministering to others here on earth. If you have that approach to your resources, hospitality is an investment opportunity. And you know the kind of conversation where somebody comes up to you in church and says, hey, I've got a great opportunity. I know a great place for you to put your money. I got to, you want to partner with me in this? All you have to do is sell 25 of these and get 10 people to sell 25 of these. And you hear this great investment opportunity. And the first time you hear that phrase, you think, is this legit or is it not legit? Well, let me tell you tonight about a great investment opportunity. It involves using your resources to minister to other people in the church that build up friends for yourself in heaven. It's not wasted. That money doesn't go away when the meal is over. It's an investment opportunity in heaven. Well, that's what hospitality is. Let me give you a few things that hospitality is not. A few things that hospitality is not. I'll just rattle these, these off for you. First of all, hospitality is not easy. <laughs> hospitality is not easy. Some people uh, you might know are just natural at ho hospitality. You might have a few people in your mind, I know I do, that they're just so good at hospitality. They, uh, they make you feel at home and they're just so generous and it seems to come natural to them. But understand that hospitality is not easy. It is natural to neglect hospitality. Often neglecting hospitality is the path of least resistance. You know, nobody else knows your life. Nobody else knows your schedule. Nobody else knows if you're having people in your home or not. And so it's just easiest to not do that because other people will assume that you're being hospitable to other people. And in our culture, you don't invite yourself over to someone's house for dinner. Like, hey, I don't know if you had anybody over to dinner. I'll be, I'll be there tomorrow night, <laughs> six o'clock. I like salmon. No, you don't invite yourself over. And so it really is the path of least resistance to not show hospitality because you're likely not going to be called out on it. All you have to deal is to do is yield to your natural desire of self-reliance 
Uh, your natural tendency towards self-centered life and gravity takes care of the rest. If you don't initiate having people over, just the course of this world will keep you from being hospitable. And that's why Peter says, listen, time's running out, okay? Time is running out. What are you gonna do with the short amount of time you have? You have to energize yourself to do this. Keep loving one another earnestly. This, do you see these effort, effort words in here? Keep earnestly. Show hospitality. Use your gifts, he says. I mean, these are power words he's using until you have to show the love of God through Christ to others, the vehicle of which is your family. Now, it's not easy to do just because you're on a self-centered way, but also it requires planning. It requires communication. In our first year of marriage, Deidre and I had been I think actually back from our, our honeymoon, just to maybe, I think it may have been our first Sunday night back at night church after our honeymoon. And we had known we wanted to be hospitable. We'd known we were in college ministry. We had a, a, a college group that we were leading and we loved them and we hadn't seen them in a few weeks. And so I'm thinking, this is a great opportunity to show hospitality to our college group. So after night church, I invite them and some of their friends over to our house for dinner and I uh, get in the car and we're headed home from night church and like a couple blocks away. We drove, had about a 20 minute drive to our house and we were maybe three or four minutes into the drive and I was like, oh, hey, hey babes. <laughs> I invited 16 college students over for dinner tonight. Um, <laughs> in fact, they might be waiting at our house right now. We had one of those gates that you know, you dialed in the touchpad, and so if the phone rings, just so you know, that's who it is on the other side. And uh, yeah, we had a conversation on that ride home about the right amount of planning that would go into showing hospitality and a bad way to do it. Um, questions like, do we have food? <laughs> like just physically in our house, do we, do we have any? I'm not really sure. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. It just doesn't grow on trees. <laughs> so we got home, I texted some people to get Little Caesars pizza, which I now regret. I should seek their forgiveness for that. And. Uh, <laughs> Deidre walked into the kitchen, did some wizardy kind of trick and made pancakes for everybody. And it worked out wonderfully. <laughs> um, worked out like a champ. The college kids loved it. But I learned a valuable lesson that hospitality is not easy. <laughs> it's easy to do the invitation, but it requires planning and communication. Secondly, hospitality is not burdensome. Well, it's not easy. It's also not designed to be a burden. And I think this is where some people falter in this is they get very concerned about having people in their home and the kind of level of perfection or what's required that they just don't do it. You know, if you are the kind of person that finds yourself stressed out before other people come over, maybe you're trying to get your house to have the people don't actually live here look. You know the look I'm talking about? <laughs> We're having friends over and we need the house to look like we, <laughs> that nobody has ever lived here. It's set for a real estate show and that's the perfect look. And, you know, then that's not hospitable. It just isn't. And if you've been to somebody's house that's like that, then you know that they can actually be not hospitable towards you. Especially if you have kids that are going to um, destroy everything. And uh, Debbie, one of the kindest things you ever told me when I brought my kids over one night is, it's okay to get the house dirty. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because I've got the perfect family for that. <laughs> Some people think, oh, we can't have people over because our home is too small. Our kids will ask tons of questions. But right before the doorbell rings, the kids spill something. And you know, it's like, this is not right. There's, you know, 
milk on the ground and things are and everything's things not done and ah hospitality is not designed to be burdensome it's not designed to be burdensome and the person who views it as a burden will often walk over others and their family to get things right before they entertain or maybe when people are coming over they try to control the situation and it becomes all about you and what you're going to present and how it should be and you can do something good like opening your homes to others that becomes a great burden around the shoulders of you and of your family and of your your kids and it demonstrates the wrong heart attitude that's not what hospitality is designed to be like it's not designed to alienate your kids from it or to have them go oh people are coming over who knows what dad is going to be like preparing for this (laughs) That's the wrong attitude because it's not about us and what we're presenting to other people. Do you understand this? This gets right to the incarnation. You know, our homes are holy. God is not afraid of your crumb-filled kitchen floor or your dirt-streaked walls. God doesn't need his love for other people to be demonstrated only in a clean church sanctuary with a big cross on the head and vacuumed floors and all that. God meets us. He comes to earth physically to be in people's homes. When Jesus walked on the earth, he had dinner at people's houses from women to tax collectors and everything in between. God is the God of thrown together dinners, sitting in the carpool line and last minute plans. God understands that and you can express love to people in that context. God is certainly the God of meeting people where they're at and hospitality can do that because you understand that God is in everything he's just he's in your family God is demonstrating his love to people through your family the family that you have not the family you saw on tv hospitality is not supposed to be a burden thirdly hospitality is not entertaining it's very easy to fall into the entertaining trap you want to have people over and but we have to find something to do we have to find something to present we need to make it an entertaining event And the difference between entertaining and hospitality is that entertaining has the focus on self, not on others. Hospitality is the focus on serving others. Entertaining has the focus on self and how you present. Jen Wilkin, an author, she actually calls entertainment, quote, the wicked stepsister of hospitality. I love that phrase, the wicked stepsister of hospitality. You're just inviting people into, when you're being hospitable, you're inviting people into your home to be a part of your family for the evening. It's a window into your family, not a chance for you to impress people with your skills. Finally, hospitality is not uniform. It's not uniform. It looks different at different stages of life. In other words, a college kid in a dorm can be hospitable to friends from church in his dorm room. And that's going to look different than the, the house of single guys down the street that walk over to church and, you know, the, the way they have friends over and how they do game nights and all that's going to be different than the college kid with his own house. And that's going to be different than the married couple without kids, which will be different, of course, than the married couple with kids, <laughs> which will be different, of course, than the people who are at the, the other end of the kid spectrum whose kids are out in college and the nest is empty. It looks different in every stage of life. And so don't use your current stage of life as an excuse to not be hospitable, which I've heard people do. Oh, we can't, have, we can't be hospitable now because our kids are too young. We can't be hospitable now because there's too much sports going on. We can't be hospitable now because, you know, we just moved three years ago or four years ago and we just haven't got things quite right yet. Well, come on. That's not hospitality. 
Of course, it's going to look different if you just moved last year. <laughs> of course, it's going to look different if you have kids that are, are little. Of course, it will be. It will look different at every stage of life. What is hospitality? Well, bottom line, hospitality is an expression of love. Hospitality is giving away your time and your gifts for the encouragement of other Christians. And love transforms hospitality because love forces you to ask. Remember, love is this idea of esteeming somebody else's needs before your own. Love forces you to ask this question, whom is my family for? God has given me a family. Who's it for? Is it for me? Or is it for the benefit of others? For whose glory is my family? My own glory or God's glory? For whose good? My own good or the good of others? Now, there's a false dichotomy in here, of course. This is not an either or. It's not like you have to say, my, my family only exists for the good of others. I mean, that would be insane and unloving and go against the hierarchy that Paul gives in 1 Timothy 5, where you love your family above strangers. You love your family above those outside of your family. If you don't care for them, you're worse than an unbeliever. So Paul has given you a hierarchy that exists. So there's not a dichotomy between seeing your family as a blessing for, for you and for God's glory and also seeing it as a blessing for others and their, their good. And that's the great thing about the Christian family. God has built the family in such a way that there's not a contest between affection to God and affection to others. They flow naturally. A great way to understand this, I think, is through the, the eyes of, uh, of a child here. And you might say, and this is a conversation that comes up when parents want, um, uh, sometimes parents will want a little kid to be baptized and will say this line. They'll say, I know that my kid's faith is in God. They don't want to be baptized just to please me. They want to be baptized to please God. And I always think, well, how, how, can, how do you know the difference in a child's heart in that? How do you know the difference between them wanting to do it to please God versus wanting to do it to please you? Because... I don't know if I know the difference in my heart with those things. Sometimes I might do something to please my wife and sometimes I might do it to please the Lord. And, but the great thing about marriage is that it's often both. <laughs> and there's no way I can say, oh, 75% of this is to please God and 25% of it is to please Deidre. Those emotions are so mixed together in the heart. You can't divide those and sort that out in your own heart. I mean, how would you ever do that in somebody else's heart? And look at somebody else and say, oh, that's entirely out of love for God and not of love for me. I mean, I don't know where you would start with that. But that's good because God doesn't want you to sort through those motives. A little child who wants to be pleasing to his parents, that's a good thing. You don't need to discourage that. You don't need to say, well, no, 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 that's, that's not good because they want it. they're doing it to please me. Now, certainly that's a problem with baptism, but don't instill in your kids this idea that it's, you have to, to kill love for parent for love for God. They work together. Apply that same grid to how you view your children into the world. Are your children given to you for, for God's glory and the strengthening of the family or for the good of others? Both. And when you start to think like that, you see how hospitality actually strengthens your children. They grow up in a house where there's there is love for others. They grew up recognizing that God has given the family resources for the good of other people. I mean, that is a, a powerful gift to give children, to recognize that they can use their time and resources for the good of others. And I just want to spend a few minutes here at the end by giving you some practical ways to do that with kids because I know many families are hurts and I have kids at home. And I want to give you a couple ways just real quickly as we close here to use your children in your showing of hospitality. 
you know, if you do some math, kid lives to be 18 years old in your house, all 18 of those years, three meals a day, you will have 20,000 meals. <laughs> There's some moms that find that hilarious, I'm sure. Here's just some practical things you can do to help your kids be involved with using those meals for hospitality towards others. You know, we have our kids help clean and prepare for guests. We'll have them set the table, knowing that it's fine if things aren't exactly where they would be, if the fork is on the wrong side, who cares? We'll have the kids plan a game or something to do or some kind of activity to do with the other kids that are over there. We talk with our kids about the toys that we have and how we're gonna use them. If so-and-so comes over and they wanna play with your toys, you're going to let them. <laughs> because it's being hospital. We have a little rule in our house that we let our kids, you know, set aside one or two of their very special toys that we're not going to ask them to share those, but we want them to, the rest of the stuff they can share. And they have to know that because we tell them, Deidre is very good at this, telling the kids, you're modeling God's love by being generous to other people. We ask our kids, what do you think so-and-so would want to eat? Just to have them talk about it. Have them help prepare what, you know, turn on the mixer or whatever, set the table, those kind of basic things. We'll ask them, what do you think we should talk to so-and-so about? What kind of questions do you think? And have them come up with the questions. We plan about this ahead of time. And I think here is the, the best question we can ask our kids. And again, I hope you catch on to my theme by doing this to how you can talk to your kids. It's my secret way of talking straight to you. <laughs> you can ask your kids, what would make other people happy when they come over? What would, what would make them feel like they're at home? For some people, it's, you know, let's, let's straighten this up. And for some people, it's, you know, they'll feel at home. They come to our house and we're just in the natural stream of life. What can we talk about with them? What's going on in their life? We have our kids meet other people at the door. We coach them ahead of time on what to say. <laughs> You know, hug them, handshake, high five, take their coach to them. We, we have all those kind of conversations. We tell our kids all the time, if you see a need, meet the need. Get napkins, fill drinks, clear tables. Find toys for the younger kids to play with. We teach them how to walk their friends to the door, to thank them for coming, and then to let them go. <laughs> Without sneaking into their minivan, I'm not pointing at anybody. And that kind of communication is key because it's ingraining in their minds the idea that you exist for the good of other people. Now, why is this such a big deal? Let me just wrap this up here. Why is hospitality such a big deal that I wanted to pull the car over tonight and talk about it and go to this verse in 1 Peter? I'm not teaching through 1 Peter. Why is this such a big deal for us? When you neglect hospitality, you're undercutting the very root of the gospel in your life. Do you understand that God was hospitable to us? that he made the world perfect for Adam and Eve. He set the table for them, so to speak. He gave them a purpose. He gave them a home. He gave them food. He gave them family. God made the world and invited people into it. And then beyond that, when even when Adam and Eve ruined it with sin, and maybe you've had some house guests that you felt like that when they left. <laughs> maybe Adam and Eve ruined it with sin, get exiled, God forces them out of the garden. They're now wandering. And yet again, God demonstrates his hospitable nature by coming to earth in the flesh to be in our homes, to walk in our fields, to spend time with our kids. Remember when the apostles learned that lesson, trying to shoo the kids out the door? 
Jesus says, what are you doing? Let them come in. And let me use this as an opportunity to teach you about sin. (laughs) You invite the children in because God did. God cares for his children. He makes sure they're never alone. Even back in the Old Testament, God cultivated a covenant people by making them distinct from the nations around them, by giving them their own identity, and then mandating hospitality. The Israelites were not supposed to look like the nations around them. They were supposed to have a different ethnicity, different food, different way of doing hair and dressing, and they were supposed to be distinct. And then God follows that with Leviticus 19.33, when a stranger sojourns with you in the land, don't wrong him. Instead, treat him and the stranger sojourns with you as a native among you. Love him as yourself because you once were strangers in the land of Egypt. Then he ends it with this, I am Yahweh your God. So God commands the Israelites to show hospitality to other people because you used to be a stranger. In the Christian church, there's always room for Ruth at the table. And when Christ comes, he comes to us. He invites us into his family in the most intimate way. Paul picks us up in Ephesians 2.12. You used to be strangers and aliens to his promises and then God brings you into his family. Gentiles used to be outside of God's covenant people and God opens the door and brings Gentiles in. He calls us his brothers and his sisters and he's not ashamed of us. 1 Timothy 6.17, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or set the hopes on the uncertainty of riches but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. God gives us things to enjoy and we leverage that for the good of others. All that God has is ours. Do you understand that? He gives us all the riches of Christ Jesus. Everything Peter says pertaining to life and godliness is ours. And so we're to open up our lives for the good of the church, open up our homes to the good of Christians and demonstrate that kind of hospitality and how we love each other. Lord, we're thankful that you are a hospitable God making a place for us. Even Jesus now has gone away to prepare a place for us. If it wasn't that way, he would have told us. We know he's gonna come back and get us at the right time and will receive us with open arms and welcome us into our eternal home. Help us have that attitude on this earth. We know our time is short here. This present time, this present world is about to come to an end. But in the meantime, Lord, help us use our resources for the good of others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to Emmanuel with Pastor Jesse Johnson. You can find more resources like this at ibcva.com. Here is a parting word from Pastor Jesse. If you have any questions about what you heard today, or if you want to learn more about what it means to follow Christ, please visit our church website, ibcva.com. If you're not a member of a local church and you live in the Washington, D.C. area, we'd love to have you worship with us here at Emmanuel. We're located in Northern Virginia, and for more information about when and where we worship, check out our church website. I hope to personally meet you this Sunday after our service. But no matter where you live, it's our hope that everyone who uses this resource is involved in their own local church. Now may God bless you this week as you seek Jesus constantly, serve the Lord faithfully, and share the gospel boldly.